Hebrews says, Hebrews 4, 16, then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we can receive mercy and grace. Anybody need mercy and grace tonight? <laughs> I need mercy and grace all the time. Unfortunately for me and for you, it's available all the time. Amen. So we're going to look at the anointing. But let's, let me just say something that, that I, I feel is prophetic for the church. I believe that many of you have been on the threshing floor. You've been going through hard times, difficult times. There's been pressure. There's been resistance to your forward thinking, your forward motivation in your life and in your walk. And it's as if you've been on the threshing floor and the threshing floor is where the, the wheat and the chaff are separated. And it's a painful process, but it's a necessary process to get the good. So I want to say to you tonight that, that those of you who have been walking in that place which I call the threshing floor, God's here tonight to meet you. He's here tonight to touch you. He's here tonight to set you free and bring you into the broad and the spacious place that he's promised to bring you into. And tonight is the night that is going to happen for you. And for some of you, it's like uh, the, uh, the prophet Elijah when he was uh, in 1 Kings 17. You know, remember the story with the widow and uh, she had a child and, and the child died. And the prophet went to the child and stretched himself out on the child and the child came back to life. Tonight, some of you, for some of you, the child of your dreams has died or you thought it's died. But tonight, the person of the Holy Spirit is going to come and stretch his wings over you and revive your broken and what you thought were dead dreams. He's going to resuscitate. He's going to resurrect. He's going to restore that which the enemy has tried to take from you. Tonight. 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 If you believe it. Tonight. He's here to set the captives free. Too many of you have been held in captivity. You see, you've, you've, you've withdrawn. What we do when we're hitting a hard time in a hard place, we tend to withdraw to our comfort zone. I know that's, I go, to, I go to my safe place, my comfort zone. But God has not called us to live in our comfort zones. God has called us to live in an uncomfortable zone. It's comfortable for him, but we're learning to become comfortable in what is uncomfortable. And that's the only place to be. You've got to learn to walk on water. You may sink a few times, but it's the only place that the Christian is called to live. We're called to live out there. A ship is safe in harbor. I remember years ago, I was with, we, Linda and I were with Errol and Brenda in Dublin. We saw this sign on a church door and it says, a ship is safe in harbor, but that is not where a ship is meant to be. Church, you're not meant to be in harbor. You only come into harbor to, to get restocked, refueled, and built up so you can get back out onto the high seas of his purpose for your life. And for some of you tonight, in fact, many of you tonight, you've come through the threshing floor. You're coming into that place where he's going to give you an abundance. There's going to be a fresh anointing on you tonight so you can go forth in the purposes of God. To start off with, I want to look at John. Oh, by the way, <clears throat> I should do this. I wrote a book. <clears throat> I wrote a book. It's called Samson's Hair is Growing Again. 
I, the title was specifically written thinking of Alan. <clears throat> it's autobiographical, it's really the story of my life and Linda's life. It, it really gives you a, an insight into who I am, who made, what were the things that made me the way I was as I grew up negative things that affected my life. My teenage years as a rebellious teenager, alcohol, drugs, living a drug-fueled life as a rock singer in a rock band in Dublin, doing lots and lots of LSD, going from craziness and crisis to conversion, and how the Lord supernaturally chased me down and found me and changed my life completely. And then traveling to Asia and working and ministering in India and traveling to Afghanistan, Nepal, Pakistan and ministering and seeing so many exciting things happen. Being successful and coming back to the UK and planting three churches, being very, very successful at the pinnacle of my so-called career. I took a nosedive into defeat, despair, dev desolation, suicidal, total failure, broken beyond broken, so that I thought I couldn't even face life again. And that's when I discovered that God loved me with an everlasting love. And he began to restore my hair. And I want to tell you, this book will encourage anybody who's been going through a difficult time. It's a, it's a book of hope. It's a book of restoration. It's a book of encouragement. One of the best things about the book is the foreword by someone called Alan Hawkins. The price of the book is worth it just to read the foreword. <laughs> and I have instructed Nikki out there not to let you read the foreword until you bought the book. <clears throat> As uh, my friend Lester Sumrall said, a real life rocker who found the rock of ages. If Jesus could save me, he can save anybody. And he does, greatly. Let's turn to John chapter 20 for a moment. I just want to begin to introduce <clears throat> some stuff to you tonight. John chapter 20. This is just after Jesus has risen from the dead. And you know the backdrop to the story. The disciples had all deserted him. <clears throat> and Peter in particular had in a very public and brutal way, denied Jesus three times. And so now after this tremendous event, the disciples are hidden in the upper room. Let's begin at verse 19 of John chapter 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. He breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold the sins from any, it is withheld. I find this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. I really, really love this story. 
if you were Jesus, <clears throat> let me just change this. If I were Jesus, and my friends had deserted me, and one of my closest friends had publicly disowned me with cursing and swearing, and I walked into the room where they were hiding, have you any idea what I might say to them? Do you think I might be just a little bit ticked off? Do you think I might, even if I felt a little bit self-righteous, I might say, dear brothers, I want to have a word in love with you, which wouldn't be just a word and it wouldn't be in love. But what I find so fascinating about this story is here these disciples are in this upper room locked up for fear of the Jews. They weren't just locked up as it were for fear of the Jews. They were locked up in their hearts. They were locked up with a sense of guilt, with a sense of betrayal, with a sense of a denial. So many things that they had said and done that would have made them feel guilty. So they were locked up in this upper room and here Jesus appears to them in their awful fallen state. And what I find absolutely incredible, he doesn't say repent once. Now I'm a, I am an evangelical, charismatic, I've signed, I've signed my name on it. I believe in the word repent. I believe that we're supposed to repent to believe the good news. But here comes Jesus and he treats them as if nothing has happened. Why do you think that is? There's a scripture that comes to my mind that, that gives me some understanding of what's going on here. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he won't snuff out. See, Jesus saw the condition of their hearts and nothing needed to be said. Tonight, Jesus comes to us because this is foundation for us to receive the anointing and he brings his ministry of restoration to them. And what he does say is, peace be with you. Jesus wants to proclaim his peace over you tonight for whatever, whatever, whatever it is that's in your history that keeps nagging at you, keeps nipping at your heels, keeps trying to drag you down and pull you down. The enemy is so good at reminding us of our past. And Jesus says, peace be with you. Take that thing that has dogged you and nagged you and just keeps kind of nipping in the back of your mind like the little foxes that nip at your heels. And Jesus says to you tonight, peace, peace be with you. See, he's washed it away. Everything that you have said, thought, or done wrong, he's washed it away, washed it away. Peace be with you. He brings his restoration to them. You see, the first thing Jesus wanted to do and he wants to do tonight is set you free from your history. So many Christians are what I call prisoners of war. They're for the kingdom of God, but they've been captured by the enemy and they're in his spiritual prison and they're unable to function properly because he's captured them with the lie. <clears throat> he steals, he kills, and he destroys. He's a liar and he's reminding you of stuff that's been washed away that Jesus doesn't remember anymore because he's taken care of it at the cross. And so many of us are neutralized and paralyzed by that thing. And tonight Jesus says, peace be with you. He's wanting to set you free from your history. But he says, peace be with you a second time in the in story. 
And that's to set them free so they'll fulfill their destiny. See, you not only get set free from your history, but you get set free to fulfill your God-ordained destiny. You have a destiny tonight. You're not an accident waiting to happen. You, you, before you were born, when you were in your mother's womb, God says, I knew you. I knew you, I formed you, I put you together. I intricately shaped your personality and your DNA so that you would become the person I designed you to be. With all your oddities, you know, I read it on Facebook, it's uh, the greatest uh, encyclopedia in the world these days, so I'm told that when Jesus formed you, he factored in your stupidity into your calling. <laughs> I am so thankful for that truth. That was one of the best things I have heard in years. <laughs> and so he set them free to fulfill their destiny. Tonight, Jesus is restoring you tonight. I want you to be encouraged and built up by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. You're free tonight. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all sin. All sin, Hebrews 9, once for all, he did it. Once for all, one time at the cross for all sin, for all time, Jesus did it. And he went and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. You see, in the Old Testament, the priest couldn't sit down because it was never finished. The priest would go in and there was nowhere to sit. They couldn't sit. They weren't allowed to go near the mercy seat, so they had to walk around and go out again. But when Jesus did it, he finished it. He sat down. When you've done a day's work, you sit down. Jesus sat down because his work was finished forever. Permanently, completely eradicated your stuff. As someone said, he took your place so you could take his place. Uh, let me be biblical about it. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that in him you have become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. You could get excited about that. That's called good news, you know. You could turn to someone and say, that's good news. That's good news. Say, I believe it's good news. You see, you need to speak it. Confess it with your mouth. Confess it with your mouth. Restoration. This is what Jesus is all about. There's, you know the most famous verse in the Bible? Come on, you don't have to think about it too long. John 3.16. What does John 3.17 say? I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. We forget about that bit. So many of us are walking around with a condemnation spirit upon us. But Jesus, if you're feeling condemned tonight, it hasn't come from Jesus. It's come from the pit. Because he's scared of you knowing who you are in Christ. So he brings his restoration to them. And then the second thing he does, which is really, he really settles it. He really puts it right on the map for them. He stretches out his hands and he shows them, he reveals to them the extent of his compassion. Nail pierced hands, sword or spears pierced side. He showed them how much he loved them. He shows us tonight how much he loves us. That's why I said to you earlier, Jeremiah 31.3, if you want me to sign the book for you, you'll find that Jeremiah 31.3 is always in there because that's my life verse because he loves me with an everlasting love. How long does everlasting last? That's a long time, huh? That's a long time. He loves you with an everlasting love. And he revealed 
his love to them. But here's the second thing about this revealing his compassion. Not only did he reveal his love to them, but it says they were overjoyed. They received his love. Beloved, it is so important to not only know that he loves you, it's really, really, really important to receive the revelation truth that he loves you. Yes, he loves you. Yes, you. I'm talking to you, the one that said, oh, no, not me. Oh, yes, you. Because I've sat in pews like you are tonight, and I said, no, he couldn't love me. Not anymore. Not after all that I have done. Not after all of the ways I let him down. For I brought disgrace to the name of Jesus, yet he still loved me. Tonight he still loves you. And he does have a plan for your life. But the third thing I love is really, the third thing he does is really, really crucial. Because you need to know you're restored first before you can get into the next part of what Jesus brings to the disciples. The third thing is he commissions them. You'll not receive the commissioning of Jesus unless you know you're restored and filled with the love of God. And Jesus said to them, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. If you think about it for a moment, that's awesome, isn't it? Well, I think it's awesome. It is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> at, least, at least one of you thinks it's awesome tonight. You see, as the Father sent Jesus, so he's sending you, Bill. So he's sending you. Exactly the same way. As the Father sent me, so he's sending you tonight. You get to speak the same words of Jesus. You get to do the same works of Jesus. But before that, before we get to do the word, and we get to the, the other thing that I say is underneath all of this that is so important. As the Father sent me, Jesus came as a carrier of the presence of God. He had a contagion called Holy Spirit. He had the virus called Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 3, I was trying to get there. I might not get there tonight, but I might get there tomorrow because I'm going to preach a different message, so you better come tomorrow, okay? <laughs> It'll be the follow-on. So Jesus carried the presence, and we are called to carry the presence just like Jesus. And that's called the anointing. And we need the anointing. You know, in the Old Testament, I'm sure I've told you this before, when in uh, Joshua chapter 3, when Joshua was facing the, uh, the Jordan, and they were wondering what was going to happen because it was in full flood and they needed to get across, he called the priests. And he told the priests to take up the Ark of the Covenant. And they lifted the Ark of the Covenant, put the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, and they went ahead of the people. And they went forward, and as soon as they stepped into the Jordan, the rivers parted, the river parted. You see, we're called to shoulder the presence, not the symbol of the presence, but the actual presence. That means we come at a place of surrender. We come under to lift up the wonder of Jesus, the presence of Jesus. And we carry his presence we carry his presence when we feel like we're carrying his presence and we carry his presence when we don't feel like we're carrying his presence because we always carry his presence. 
in season and out of season, we carry his presence. At all times, you're a carrier of the presence of Jesus. And as you begin to realize and walk intentionally with intentionality of being a presence carrier, the presence carrier, you'll step into whatever Jordan River you've got to step into and you'll see supernatural things begin to take place because that's the norm for the Christian because he's a carrier of the presence that the Father has sent me. So I send you to speak the words that I speak and to do the works that I do. Can I hear an amen? amen? You up for that? Yeah. I discovered a long time ago that God is not an Englishman. <laughs> <laughs> He's not polite. He's not British. He's more Irish, actually, I think. <laughs> Anybody got Irish blood in them tonight? Oh, I could pray for you tonight. <laughs> You're God's chosen. God's going to climb over the chairs to get you tonight. He's going to wreck your life for the good. Holy Spirit is here to minister to you tonight. He's here to break you out of your comfort zone, into his comfort zone. And so Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Carrying his presence. Speaking words of life. Words of life. You're called to speak words of life to people. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. And they that love it will eat its fruit thereof. We need to watch what we say. Because there is life and death in what we say. I think the last time I was here, I preached on Joshua and Jericho. And you know, when they walked around Jericho, one of the instructions that God gave the Israelites was, was they were not allowed to talk as they walked around the wall of Jericho. Every day, once for six days, seven times on the seventh day, that works out 13 times a day, no talking. No talking. You wonder why? It wasn't that in case the enemy might look over the wall and say, who's that talking? No, they would know they're walking around there, but why would the Lord say no talking? Well, let me give you a, a kind of a case scenario. So Abraham and uh, Rebecca are walking around together and they're not supposed to talk, but Rebecca on the third day in says to Abraham, can you see a crack in the wall yet? And Abraham looks and he says, there's no crack in the wall yet. And she says, I don't know what Joshua's up to. I think he's lost the plot. And you know, that then begins to spread throughout the whole group. And before you know it, they're saying, we're going home. See, God wants to shut up negative talk, a negative voice. If you can't say something encouraging, and edifying and instructive, then thus saith the Lord, shut up. So he commissioned them. We're commissioned tonight. We're being commissioned afresh tonight. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. This is a word and spirit church. Yes? yes. You all agree with that? 
Okay. If you've only got the word, you'll dry up. If you've only got the spirit, you'll blow up. But if you've got the word and the spirit, you'll grow up. It's time for the church to grow up. It's time for the church to be everything that Jesus wants the church to be. The church is the agents of the kingdom. You know, Jesus only mentions the church three times in the Gospels, and they're all in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16 and chapter 18. The rest of the time he spoke about the kingdom. The big thing on Jesus' agenda was the kingdom. We were commissioned to advance the kingdom. Acts chapter 1, the priority of Jesus, the last 40 days he spent with them before ascending was he talked to them about the kingdom. And Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 16, I will build my church. So that's his job. Our job is to advance the kingdom. I will build my church on this revelation, the revelation of who Jesus is. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And behold, I give you the keys, the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you uh, loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Actually, the Greek text is more specific. It says, whatever you bind on earth will already have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will already have been loosed in heaven. We need to understand what's been bound in heaven and what's been loosed in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. God has loosed his anointing from heaven to set the captives free. We need to be agents of the kingdom, commissioned to be agents of the kingdom, to advance the kingdom, to push down the doors of darkness, the doors of oppression, the doors of the demonic, the, do the doors where people are being held back from their God-given destiny. That's our calling, beloved. This is what the church is all about. Jesus is building the church so we can advance the kingdom. Let him build the church and let us get on with the job of advancing the kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit because that's what we need. Because the fourth thing that happened in the story is Jesus breathed on them and gave them the provision of the Holy Spirit. Now, we can wax eloquent theologically about what this was. was it, were they being, being made born again? No, because they'd already been made clean by the word that was spoken to them. Was it prophetic symbolism? Hmm, maybe, but... Or was John writing the whole of the gospel in one complete uh, context in that place? Whatever it was, they received the Holy Spirit that time. They received. He breathed on them. And they received the anointing. And tonight, God wants to breathe on you afresh. Tonight, God wants to blow on you. Make sure, guys, you've got your ministry mints. God wants... <laughs> Sorry. God wants to blow on you tonight so that you can receive fresh breath from heaven. So that the bones will come together, the sinews will join together, and an army of God will rise up. An army of God. Not pew fillers, but an army of God. People who are radically committed to the work of Jesus and the purpose of Jesus. People who are, people who are just crazy for Jesus. What makes you tick? What gets you up in the morning apart from coffee? <laughs> Jesus, he's everything. He's the be all and end all of my life. He's, he's the one, he died for me. So all I can do is live for him. And that's all I wanna do. I trust that's what you wanna do tonight. Let him fill you afresh. Let him pour out 
I can change the illustration any way I want. It's the wind of the Spirit. It's the water of the Spirit. It's the wine of the Spirit. Some of you need to get intoxicated with Jesus afresh. Some of you need to have the cobwebs of dry theology blown away so that you've got the living God breathing life into you and through you. Theology is good, it's great. But if that's all you've got, you haven't got enough. You need the living God living inside you. You see, the anointing, I'll deal with this in more detail tomorrow. In John 14, Jesus said to the disciples, the Holy Spirit is with the Comforter, is with you, and he will be in you. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So it's a different element to the anointing. It's not just the witness of the Spirit that you're born again and you belong to him. It's an anointing for power and with authority. Like when I spoke at the beginning about David, the Holy Spirit rushed upon him. It's an anointing for battle. It's anointing for breakthrough. It's anointing to be a winner. We're called to win. We're called to win for the kingdom. We're called to win for the king. We're called to bring glory and honor to Jesus, who is Lord of heaven and earth and is here tonight to meet you, to refresh you, to restore you, to make you whole.